turn into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we continue our plotting through the gospel, if, if you're thinking, man, how many messages can he preach on the gospel? I can find the gospel in just about every scripture in the Bible. So pretty much for the life of my preaching, I will find the gospel somewhere, but it won't always be in the title. <laughs> so, you know, that's the real thing is, is people ask and they're like, well, pastor, how are we going to grow the church? What can we do to change the church? How can we grow the church? And the idea is, is all sorts of ideas. Well, we need to change the music. Well, we need to change the color of the church. We need to change. Uh, you would be surprised at all the suggestions I have heard. Uh, we need to train, change the dress of the church. We need to, you know, all sorts of, to, I've even, we need to change the smell of the church. And um, I know that would be really hard to do in Ferndale. But uh, I love it, frankly. I wake up every morning, I get my coffee, I open the windows and the doors, and I smell the cows, and it's great. <laughs> I know it's weird. I love it. I always did that. Whenever I drove by with my grandmother, I was like, what's that smell, Grandma? She goes, it's the cows. <laughs> uh, I just love that earthy uh, smell, and then I start sneezing because of the dogwoods, but that's a different story. Uh, there's all sorts of ideas. We need to change the psychology of the church. We need to change the sadness, the, the laughter. The, we need to change all of these things. Um, we need to change the gender of the church. Um, it needs to be more feminine. It needs to be more masculine. It needs to be more... All of these things. Uh, you'd be surprised at all the different things. But I'm here to tell you that without the gospel, we have nothing in the church. We have nothing. Um, people have been burned by the church. And so the thing is, is people have been burned over the years, literally, by the church. In fact, the people carrying the gospel... And God's word have been burned by the church, literally, at the stake. Uh, William Tyndale, uh, where most of our Bibles started originally in our original language by William Tyndale. And he was burned at the stake when captured uh, because of translating word for word the original text into modern day English. And it's, it's, so they, they destroyed him because all of a sudden the power of God's word were in the hands of the people and the church could control the people by saying, well, this is what God says. And, the, and now the people say, well, that's not what God says. And that's why the beauty of it, we get to open up our word, the word this morning, and we can see the living word of God and you can hold me accountable to what it says in the text. The thing is, is a lot of things in the church without the gospel is meaningless. And we want to look at this idea of cultivating the gospel lifestyle. 
And we're going to look at that solely in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Well, let's pray and then let's read God's word. Lord, thank you so much for the power of your word. We just thank you for what we've read and sung this morning. We thank you for our church body. We thank you for those that you've brought together that we might worship you. And Lord, in turn, as we worship you, may Lord, you teach us how to love one another. Lord, I pray that you would speak boldly, Lord, through your written word. And as we hear your word, may it impact our lives greatly, not because of me, because of what you have to say to us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men, or of angels, but have not love, I have become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, I hope that that's not who I am this morning. But, uh, so it's burning your ears by me talking. But look at verse 2. It says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me, guess what? Nothing. You see a common theme here? Without God's love, we have what? Nothing. That's interesting. Now, um, he has a, a Jim speaking. He inspired me last week, so I thought I'd throw up a funny... So, love thy neighbor as thy cell phone. That was actually on the church. Uh, uh, I found this on the internet. That was a church sign. Now, some of you, I would say, yes, love your neighbor as your cell phone. I've seen the way you treat your cell phone. It's all pretty. It's got some, you've protected it. Put it, if you have one of those life-proof cases, because you don't want to drop it in the water. Some of us have been known to drop it in the toilets. We've... (laughs) We drop it all over the place. I, drop, I throw my phone. It's just, I'm a walking uh, billboard for why you need phone insurance. But, praise the Lord, I haven't busted it yet. Some of you are like me, and you feel it's your duty to make sure to see how well your phone works, so you throw it everywhere. We actually have a lady, uh, a friend of mine, uh, and my wife's a really good friend, and she, I mean... She says, it's all right, I have insurance. She throws it everywhere. Uh, she sees a dog chasing her cat. She, guess what? The phone gets thrown. So she, some of you, if you're like that and you throw your phone everywhere, don't love your neighbor like you love your phone. But here's the real thing. Here's the key. You know what the key to love is? Let me, let me show you something. The key to understanding 1 Corinthians 13 is not just love. It's found in one verse back in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. It says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I I will show you a more excellent way. Literally, I'm going to show you what you should desire above and beyond all of that. And that is love. God's love. God's love can be seen and understand. That's what he's saying. I will show you this. You know, a lot of people tell me, you know what, God's love is beyond me. I, I just, I can't 
share that. I can't love the way that God loves. But Paul literally says, I'm going to show you what that love looks like, and I'm going to expect you to desire to love that way. That's pretty interesting. What's amazing, when we come to 1 Corinthians 13, a lot of people have a lot of ideas. It's read in marriages a lot. You'll hear uh, Roman, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 read. But do you know that 1 Corinthians 13 isn't written for marriage? It was actually written to a church who couldn't get their act together, believe it or not. We were like, Pastor, you know, I am just so frustrated with church. That's what was going on in 1 Corinthians. It was written because people didn't understand how to behave in church. And so 1 Corinthians comes along and Paul says, by the way, let me show you the more excellent way to live in church. The more excellent way literally is dealing with lifestyle. God's gospel love is a lifestyle, not simply a momentary feeling, but it's actually a lifestyle. This, this, this chapter is not dealing with how do you feel about life, how do you feel about the church, or you know how to deal with when your feelings are hurt, but it's actually how we're supposed to act as a lifestyle within the church. The other thing is if we skip and skip all of chapter 13 and go to verse 1 of chapter 14, it also shows us that God's love, this gospel-type love, is greater than anything that we can pursue. If we're going to pursue the greatest thing ever in church, guess what it should be? The love in which God loved us. That gospel-type love. That's the most excellent way. Speaking about love, did you know that there are four, not just three, types of love in the Bible? A lot of times we hear that. Uh, we hear about love. When God is talking about love in chapter 13, he's not talking what we would consider uh, this kind of sexual love, eros. It's actually a love that's built on desire. It gives us a sense of emotional love or desiring a certain type of response, a lustful desire. That's why it says in 1 John, it says, don't love the world or the things of the world, the lust of the flesh. That's the type of love that this is talking about. So God talks about four different types of love. One's dealing with a desired love. That's the most common type of love we see in the world. The other one is a family love. Storge. It's also, a lot of times people desire to come to church and they're looking for a family type of love. It gives a sense of belonging. They want to belong, and so they're looking for that. And a lot of people also go to clubs, or they, go to, they want to belong to something, and they want to feel needed or a part of. And so they join. And that's not also the kind of love that's here in 1 Corinthians 13. But that's a good love to have. We want to belong. But if that's our sole desire, is to make a place for people to belong, it's not going to be enough. It's actually going to, we're going to segregate ourselves. The other type is the phileo, or the, where we get the Philadelphia type love. 
That's why we have the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But if you go there, watch out, because it's not always filled with love. It's uh, got a lot of violence there. But in the Bible, we see friendship type of love. That also is not the type of love in 1 Corinthians when it says, if you have not love, you have nothing. But you know what? Everybody, I don't know about you, but everybody wants to have friends. We like friends. But this phileo love, did you know that it's a love that um, it basically gives us a sense of value or worth? So this type of love, we say, oh, well, I like this person because they give me, they, they're valuable to me. They give me a sense of valuable. They help me. Or they do this. But guess what happens when they're no longer of value or worth to you? What do you think you do? You forget about them. Or you move on. Or they, you, they no longer cease to be your friends. That is also not the type of love that is in here. 1 Corinthians 13 is dealing with agape love, which is a spiritual love. It's God's love. It's best seen in the, in the same verses that, that were read in Romans 5.8. It says, and hope, in, verses, uh, in Romans 5, verses 4 through 8, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. It's been given to us through the gospel. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he paid for your sins. Guess what he did? He poured his love into you. That is a special type of love. That's what we call spiritual love. 1 John 3.16. Have you ever followed the 3.16s of the Bible? For God so loved the world. This is 1 John 3.16. It says, but this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, for these brothers. By this we know love. That's also talking about a spiritual type of love. It gives a sense of being sacrificed. Do you know what also this type of love produces? It produces security. Security. When we fill the church with spiritual love, not just family love, friendship type love, but a spiritual love, love that was poured into our life by God, it produces not only a sacrifice type love, but a secure type of love. We feel secured. Not skewered, but secure. Uh, we, we love one another. We don't go around skewering one another like shish kebabs and barbecuing one another. We actually secure one another and take care of one another. There's security. We're not worried about whether people love us or not. When we come to church, when there's spiritual love being produced, we don't worry about who loves us and who doesn't love us. We don't worry about, oh, well, I wonder if that person likes me. We have security. The problem is, in 1 Corinthians, is the Corinthian church had been producing a family-type love, a friendship-type love, and sadly, they were actually producing a sexual-type love in the church. 
In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, you find that they were even joking about that type of sexual love in the church. They had gotten this type of love, the wrong love, all out of whack. And it was destroying the church. You know, this type of love, I want you to see these few unique things. This type of love is unending. Do you know the spiritual love in which God has loved you when he died on the cross for your sins? When he paid for your sin? And now you are alive with Christ. It's unending. When a church is filled with that kind of love, they say, Pastor, well, how do we grow the church? We need spiritual love. We need a love that's unending. So when somebody sins against you, well, I don't like that. And you stop liking them, guess what happens? That's a friendly or eros type love. We're only affected. You're saying that I'm only going to be affected by those people that meet my desires or are friendly or are valuable or worth to me. I'm going to only go to a church that's valuable to me. But God is saying, I want you to build a love that's unending. So when somebody sins against you, you're going to run after them. You know, what, you know where we get that idea from? When God died for our sins. Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinning, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ ran after us. He didn't wait for you to become perfect. And when he sins, he's waiting for you to love you with an unending, everlasting type love. That's an unconditional love. You know, the world is desperately desires, they call it tolerance, right? But you know, the world doesn't necessarily have tolerance, does it? <laughs> it's not truly, the world is tolerant as long as it's conditional, as long as if you have to like everything that everybody likes, that's not the type of love we're talking about. It's unconditional. It's very unusual. It's very unusual. In 1 John 3, if you look at 17 and 18, it says, love us, uh, let us love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How many of you have ever told somebody you love them and then you hated them a week later? I always loved watching people date. It was the funniest thing to me as a kid. I would watch my friends just, oh, I love her so much. And it was like a week later, she's the worst person in the world. Did you see what she did? I was like, no, what'd she do? It's like, she ate my chocolate. That happened one time. I just died laughing. The, we say it all the time, oh, I love, I love God, but then if God doesn't give you exactly what you want or desire, oh, I hate God. Oh, I love my church, but then, oh, they didn't do exactly what I wanted, so they're going to walk out the door. Our love is unusual because God gave us something very unusual. He died for our sins and paid for our sins when we couldn't pay for it. It's very unusual. It's also uplifting. It's un uplifting. This type of love is uplifting and it's unselfish. 
It's unending, unconditional, unusual, uplifting, and unselfish. By the way, friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Do you understand what, what would church be like without the gospel type of love directing our life? And that's what 1 Corinthians is all about. When the gospel love is not present, because it's not present, it's without, without it, our communication is sorely ineffective. Have you struggled with sharing the gospel with people or telling people about how much that God loves them or how much that God has loved you? Have you had a hard time talking to other people because you're offended with something? Or you've had a hard time communicating with somebody or somebody's offended by what you communicated. Did you see what verse 1 said? Though I speak with the tongues of men of angels. You can be the most eloquent speaker known to man and if you don't have this spiritual type of love, your communication is ineffective. I don't know if you've seen that, right? Your communication is ineffective. We have to be driven by this type of unusual gospel love. It has to be the focus of church. Because without it, anything we communicate in church or outside of church will be ineffective. Look at verse 2. Whoop, went backwards. Look at verse 2. It says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding, all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Without this type of unusual gospel love that's given by God, our understanding is incomplete. Our understanding, we can't understand things without God's love. My favorite is, is, is James 3.17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Did you hear the type of love that God's wisdom produces? First, it's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. I'm not going to go into all the theological details, but basically the idea here is prophecy is not about foretelling the future. It's about proclaiming the knowledge of God and proclaiming the good news. And you can understand everything there is to know about God, but if you have no love, God's love, if there's no gospel present in your teaching, in your understanding, then your understanding is vastly incomplete. You guys, we can understand everything about the Bible. And if we are not being driven by the gospel, then guess what? It's incomplete. You cannot read and teach the Bible absent from the gospel. We have to be driven by God's love. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 25 says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You see, if we are seeking to be a church full of wisdom, as the world seeks wisdom, God destroys that. It says, 
In verse 20 it says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? If we are choosing to follow the wisdom of the world, the church will be incomplete. If we choose to follow God's love, then our understanding and the knowledge of God will be filled with complete joy and pure and peace, reason and love and sacrifice and security for one another. Verse 25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Has anybody ever told you that, man, that the God who you follow is foolish? Or that wisdom, that, that, you know, that, that religion you follow, that's pretty dumb. But I, I'll never, I never forget when my, when my adoptive dad, he, he was like, I just don't understand it. How come you have a new car because you're in a worthless job? That's what he thinks. As a pastor, being a pastor, I'm in a worthless job. You know, his, he's, his, his God is money. He lives for money. And he always points out, he's like, you have the most worthless job. You're never going to amount to anything. And then he says, but I don't understand it. How come you have a new car? Well, and, 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 and I'm like, oh, God provided. He's like, I don't get it. And he's just like, you shouldn't, have, you know, by the world standards, you shouldn't have anything worthwhile. And it's, I'm always amazed when, when he says that. And then I get to share the gospel and about how God loves me and how God has provided for me and I'm secure in what God does. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This idea that without God's love, our understanding is sorely incomplete. Our knowledge is incomplete. Our wisdom is incomplete. But as is written, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 2, but as is written... What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined that God has prepared for those who love him. Same love, that spiritual love. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Without God's love, our understanding is incomplete. We have to be driven by the gospel. Guys, the gospel is anything apart from gospel love will not help people come to Christ. Without the gospel, without God's love, our giving and service is insufficient. It's insufficient. Yes, you understand, no matter how much we, we do programs and we do huge ministries, no matter how much you give, 
no matter how much you serve, if you aren't serving with the gospel love as the driving force of your life, then it's insufficient. It will never grow the church. The more that we focus on just things and giving, look at verse 3, it says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, he says literally, if, I mean, you can become a literal lamp. Oh, uh, you can burn yourself to say, look how much I serve the Lord. I serve the Lord so much that I'm going to set myself on fire. But if you don't have love, it profits me nothing. You can be the greatest servant known to man, and if, you, if it doesn't have the gospel love, that spiritual love, as the motivating factor, it will produce nothing. That one always gets me. As a church, are we, do we follow into the traps of the Corinthian church? Paul knew this all well. In, in Psalms, do you realize that Paul, or not Paul, but uh, David said over and over, it's not sacrifice, God, that you desire, but it's my heart. It's my heart that you desire. We get so focused so many times on serving and giving and we got to do so many big things, but that will not produce what God wants. You're like, I'm going to be the best Christian I can be and I'm going to serve in church. And guess what? Many times we think being a good Christian means having to do all these religious things. And guess what happens? We burn out. Does that sound familiar? Even though I give my body to be burned. I see so many Christians flame out in the church. Without the gospel, the gospel is the most important thing in the church. Without this spiritual love, we have nothing. Gospel love is essential for everything. Without it, you think about it, David and Saul, right? Do you remember, if you remember in your Sunday school lessons, who was David? David was a teenager. David was small in stature. Now, if you know, in the olden days, anybody that was over six foot, they were giants. They were considered the giant of a man. They were looked on, so I'm, I'm close. <laughs> David was just a little peon compared to Saul. In fact, David could hardly move with Saul's armor on. Saul was the epitome. He was the chiseled man. He was the leader. He, did, he, was, he was a good talker. He was charismatic. He was big in stature. Everybody wanted to follow Saul. And David was just a little shepherd boy. But he loved God... And he became a man after God's own heart because it wasn't about the sacrifice. It was about loving God and God's love. Saul was rejected, but David was elevated. In, in the, the, 
this idea that gospel love is essential, if you look at our text, look at it. Without love, you've become, your impact, you've become basically just a gong. You're creating, your, your people's ears are just going to bleed. <laughs> They're not going to hear you. They're not going to want to hear you. I've become, verse 2, I've become nothing. Our importance will diminish as a church. Or it profits me nothing. Your involvement in church will be worthless. The context of 1 Corinthians 13, by the way, is all about the church has become useless to God. Because they've lost their first love. They're not sharing God's love. It's not about the gospel anymore. It's about everything else except God's love. You guys, and you, this is the secret. You want to grow the church? We need to be about God's love. We need to focus on God's love. You, can't, you will not love your neighbor without God's love. You will not love our community the way that God wants you to love them without God's love. We cannot love each other without God's love. The, the gospel is the message about, God, about the love of a holy God and about the sacrifice of a loving Savior. The gospel creates a people who are defined by genuine forgiveness, real humility, radical love. If a church is marked by bitterness, pride, selfishness, desires, worldly wisdom, worldly lusts, it, won't, it will always alienate outsiders. It will broadcast lies about the gospel. On the other hand, a church that has this together love of the gospel that confirms the gospel, that loves the gospel, that's driven by God and His love, will validate this truth to a dying world. Many people, like I said, are utterly skeptical of trusting others because they've been burned too badly in their past. But when they see a whole church that's filled full of people who shouldn't love each other, but do, and they see problems and people loving each other through those problems. But when they see a whole church living this way, they will not only be attracted, but they will have no explanation for what they see other than what the church is proclaiming, and that is God's love. Will you help me proclaim that? Will that be the message of our church? is that we are loving the way that God has loved us individually when he died on the cross, when he paid for your sin. We have no way to pay for our sin, but God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Will we live that way in church? The only way to live that way is to be driven by the gospel every day in our life. It's a lifestyle Verse 31 of chapter 12, and yet I will show you the most excellent way 
to live in church. Not programs, not music, not dancing, not structure, not, you know, good speaking, not this or that. It's God's love, but not love like the world. Love that's like God, that breeds security and sacrifice amongst each other, where we're going to sacrifice ourselves for one another to love each other. I pray that we would desperately be this type of church. Will you join with me to grow, to be saying, I want to grow in my love for God this way, to be a church that's defined by the gospel every day and to share that love with one another. I pray that that would be your prayer. That maybe somebody in, in, in church or somebody that's left the church and say, you know what, God, help me to love them the way that you have loved me. I, trust me, I know it's difficult. When I forgave my adoptive dad, it was the most difficult, emotional thing I ever did in my life. And it still kind of brings me to tears because it hurts, but it was a sacrifice, but it was the most freeing thing. My dad never wanted to hear about the Bible or the gospel from me ever. He, he, as soon as I would bring up, but you know what God did for you? And he goes, I don't want to hear it. But when I asked him for forgiveness, for being bitter and angry towards him and never forgiving him and not loving him the way that God had loved me. When I, when I dealt with that and I started loving him the way that God loved me, he goes, your life is weird. Tell me about it. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. When I forgave him, when I should be desiring forgiveness from him, I actually sought forgiveness from him. I said, you know what? I'm not loving you the way that God loved me. And I started loving him. I can share the gospel with him now. I can actually talk with him now. I'm not afraid of him now. I was afraid to call him. I don't know about you, but when you talk to somebody, you don't want to hear how stupid you are, right? That's what my dad used to tell me. You're just stupid. I don't worry about that. When I call him now, I just, hey, Dad. He goes, tell me about your life. What is God doing for you? That's what our covers. And if God can do that, God did a miracle in my life. God can help you to love whoever that person is right now that you struggle with loving the way that God has loved you. If you ask God to help you and you realize that you don't deserve God's love, but he loved you anyway, and you start to ask God for help, he will help you love the unlovable. That's the kind of church we need. A church that will love the unlovable. That people will come to Christ and be changed for the rest of eternity and want to belong to an imperfect group of people. That, never, that blows my mind. Why would we ever want to meet together? We're all imperfect. 